Hey guys, this is Ishai Breslauer and welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show where we discuss commercial real estate. On Mondays, we dive deep into an asset class and on Thursdays, we go into some inspirational stories for the weekend. Can't wait to start. Let's go. Hi guys, this is Ishai Breslauer with the CRE Shark Eye Show. How are you today? I hope you're doing fine because today we have a very special guest and a friend, Jack Dweck. And, uh, and there's so many things that we're going to learn today. And I hope you guys are going to keep it together and stay tuned because uh, we're not going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about how to pivot. We're going to talk about how to get better. We're going to talk about how to overcome adversity. And uh, Jack is, uh, is a living, uh, how do you say, he's a living example, living role model that will teach us about this. And I have such a pleasure to have him today. Jack, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Shai. Great to see you again. Pleasure, pleasure. It's been a while. And hopefully very soon we'll be able to uh, meet live again, Bezrat Hashem, please yep, God. Yep. Um, and uh, we share so many things in common. We have so many things that we love to talk about, uh, ranging from real estate to Judaism and things like that. But uh, what today, what I want to do, first of all, you know what, let's start with that. Let's start with, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do today? And, uh, and what is your business? And then we'll start talking about the rest of the stuff. So let's start with okay. uh, now. I mean, uh, well, well, I have a history in uh, working in commercial real estate, but, but what we do today is mostly focused on energy and finance. We, we create new income streams for commercial landlords uh, by converting their electricity expense into a profit center for them. It's really unique and it's, it's exciting. And we have uh, about 400 buildings in the pro portfolio. We, we operate in 10 states. Uh, we have some of the largest uh, commercial real estate landlords in the country as, as clients and par partners, really. And that's going very well. Uh, in my spare time, I, I, uh, I run the largest energy retail energy conference in North America. It's called the Energy Marketing Conference. And Actually, it's coming up in five days. So, so right after this, uh, right after this interview, I'm going to jump right back into it and uh, and work on that. And uh, and then in my spare spare time, I uh, I, I write books and uh, and I and I tickle my grandchildren. That sounds awesome. And uh, <laughs> soon by me, please God, meaning I have one married daughter and there's a lot of shame. But uh, well, what what I want to tell you is. Um, uh, first of all, you know, before we start, because this show is, we're going to go a little bit more into the personal, I would say, development side of things. And uh, uh, beforehand, since you're so involved in the office space, I just want to tell, you know, give the listeners what your take is on what's going on with office space beforehand, if you could tell us briefly, and what's the future of it? What do you think? Uh, yeah, so... so uh, a bunch of famous people have said, uh, don't bet against New York City. Um, it's been, been quoted uh, by a lot of people and it was quoted in nine, after 9-11 and it's being quoted again now. And I, 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 I'm a believer that um, the office space market is gonna open up again, despite the changes, the permanent changes, I would say that you could see where I'm working right now. It's not my office, obviously, yes. right? I have a home office, but uh, luckily, um, but we, um, I, I do believe the, the, the business, the, the, the office business, I'm a big, big um, uh, advocate and a big bull of long-term uh, success in that market um, for, for, for offices. 
Uh, I will tell you, I work in a, my office is in a 1 million square foot building in downtown Brooklyn. It's called Metro Tech Center. And just similar to my clients' buildings, um, uh, they, uh, the building is basically 15% occupied, but it's 97% paying. So for example, my company, we're paying our rent every month, you know, we're not right. all there. Some people come, some people don't, we have a schedule who shows up in the office, but we're not, not paying our rent. We have a five-year lease. It's a, it's a class A building that we're paying our rent. We're not, we're not playing or playing games with that. Um, and I think 99% of, or like I say, 97% of the tenants are similar to me where they're paying the rent. I think there's very small people, maybe month to month kind of guys different, but any, anybody with a long-term lease is, is going to stay with that program. You know, there's no substitute for working together in the same office, meeting together personally. There's no substitute for that. I'm a big advocate of Zoom. I'm a stockholder of Zoom, thank God. But, um, but I, I don't- thank God. Uh, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the, it's purely a future. Tell me something. Uh, just the last thing about this. How long until you think, meaning uh, nobody has a crystal ball as we call it, but uh, how long do you think until New York is back? Because I hear all kinds of things. I have my own opinion about it. But that's, that's a great question. Uh, I actually run a energy uh, retail energy conference in New York every fall. And we're just talking about that right now. How many, how many attendees are we going to have in, in Midtown Hilton in New York City in October? It's a big question. And we're actually going back and forth with the Hilton about this right now. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. You're right. Uh, I do think that when you say back, I mean, I, I've been, I was in the city uh, the last four business days every single day for at least four hours. Um, so, uh, and I think it is relatively back uh, in terms of office. Um, I'm talking about the market. I'm talking about valuation of the market. Yeah, I mean, oh, you're talking about re well, retail is, is not retail, retail was, was right. Retail, retail was going down anyway, you know, yes, before yes. this, uh, I, I was in Whole Foods yesterday, jam packed. I mean, 100%. you know, Trader Joe's, I mean, if, if you have the right product and service and you're in the retail space, you'll do fine. If, if you're trying to, if you're trying to compete with Amazon, <laughs> forget it. It's not going to work. Right. Um, so I think I think I think another six months, and especially with the vaccinations and everything else, I think I think it will be fine. All right, I ho I hope you're right because my 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 thoughts are not there. I'm thinking. Uh, I heard already people saying ten years. Uh, New York City will be back. Some people said two years. Some people said I think around the four to five years, uh, meaning it's going to go nuts. Meaning people who are going to get into New York City anywhere between now and a year and a half from now are going to make a killing. Whoever is capable, of course, you need deep pockets, you know, in order to do that. But those who are capable, I think, will make a killing. That's my assumption. In four years, we're going to see this sky, the whole business in New York City skyrocketing. Anyways, that's, that's my opinion. Um, you know, I want to go now and dwell into what we are going to talk about in the show. And before we start that, um, Tell us about, you just spoke about grandchildren. So tell us a little bit about yourself way back, you know, how it all started for you uh, in the beginning, how you got into this business and how you got into the professional world in the very, very beginning. Well, um, okay. So <laughs> very, very beginning. Um, well, I won't go that far back, but, but I'll, I'll go back to before the financial crisis. Uh, I ran a company that was 1.4 billion 
dollars of discretionary assets. We were we had a large real estate portfolio. We have a lending portfolio. Uh, it was a big hedge fund, private equity fund, um, and the financial crisis um, really humbled a lot of people. It humbled me. Uh, it was a, it was a rough time. We were in the eye of the storm. You know, we were doing mezzanine loans on real estate, bridge loans. Wow. Um, we had developments in Florida. Every area that you have ever heard of that that imploded, we were in those areas. So it was a difficult time. Uh, I, I personally lost over forty million dollars personally uh, in, the, in the real estate crisis, and it was a tremendous learning experience. The team. Uh, that I had a lot of the major players and, and my partner, Rick Rudy, we stayed together uh, after the crisis and we worked very hard on rebuilding our business. Um, uh, the last 10 years, we, we started um, over 15 different businesses in the last 10 years. Um, 12 of them didn't work out <clears throat> and we are running three of them now. <laughs> so, and they're all related, uh, but, but not all of them were related. Um, so we, we did we did a, a lot of work uh, making our comeback, and in that process, I, I as I as we, we we talked about this, I wrote a book uh, about comebacks and overcoming adversity during the financial crisis. While the world was imploding on me, uh, business my business was disappearing. There were lawsuits all over the place. I was suing people, were suing me. I was suing them. The whole thing was just uh, horrible. My father passed away. Uh, then my mother passed away unexpectedly. Then my best friend passed away. So we, it was just an incredible amount of uh, adversity all at the same time. You know, thank God I can smile about it now and say I'm, I'm past it. And, you know, the, you know the, the sadness and all that doesn't completely go away. But, but, you, but you move your life forward and, and, you, and you build it. And, and that's really what my, uh, my passion is is giving webinars and talks and, and classes and speeches about how to overcome adversity. And I work with dozens of people uh, who are going through really difficult times right now. Um, uh, and, and that's what I, that's my passion. I, I don't do it for a living. I do it as a, as a volunteer, of course. Uh, but that's, that's my main passion in life. Sounds amazing. And now digging into this topic, right? <clears throat> you just, just right before the show, you showed me a book, which uh, I didn't know you have. And, it's a must read and I, I have to get it. We're going to talk about it later, but the book is called, um, the book is called six steps to overcoming adversity, six steps to overcoming adversity by Jack Dweck, how to turn setbacks into comebacks, which is amazing. That's a beautiful type of a uh, type of a cover and, and a message. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, the, the, the truth is the book didn't, didn't I, I didn't start writing this book during the financial crisis or after. I actually started it before the financial crisis. We had some other adversity uh, way back uh, before the financial crisis. And that's when I started teaching in Baruch College and City University of New York. I, as a volunteer, I would teach the management students, the juniors and seniors uh, about overcoming adversity. And um, that's where it started. I, I would talk to them about um, the, the, the progression to, you know, what, what, you know, what we call um, uh, uh, inflection points where, where, you know, you, you have some success and then you have a very serious adverse setback. And what you do when you have that setback will determine whether your business will go back up or whether or it doesn't have to be a business. It could be a, a team, an organization. It could be a family. It could be a marriage. When you have a setback, 
And what you do when you have that setback will determine your future. And, and you won't have one setback. You'll have dozens of setbacks. So, so the, the, the road to success doesn't, is never a straight line. It's always with ups and downs. The companies that don't do the right thing at the setbacks are companies like Toys R Us, are companies like, uh, uh, um, I mean, dozens and dozens of retail companies, not just retail, but other companies that just basically disappeared. And the companies that when they have setbacks are able to use a methodology to overcome and to grow from them are doing incredibly well. I, I'll give one, one great example. I'm having millions one, be, of Before you continue, Jack, sorry, I'm here. Jack, sorry. sorry for interrupting. I want to hear it. Oh, okay. But if we could go back to seeing both of us, because I think this is a, it's important yeah. that we'll focus on you and hear the message from you. Go, go ahead. No, so, so if, if, you, if you look at a company like IBM, for example, right? What did they do when I was a kid, when I was uh, coming out of college? They were selling big mainframe computers bigger than the room I'm sitting in right now, right? Where right. You, can, you can put that power right now in, in the palm of your hand. So that company should have gone out of business, right? That company should have gone out of business. They were in the hardware business and not even much software. People had to write software for them. I was one of the people that wrote software for IBM. And, and I, 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 I couldn't believe how IBM completely transformed their whole business into a service and software company. And, and that's really what they did and incredibly well. So they were able to take what they had, they, they used they use the power and the benefit of the brand that they built and the quality of people that they had in their teams. And they just said, you know what, let's turn into what the, what the customer needs. And they, and they, and they survived. And there are numerous cases and examples like that. I talk about in my book, one, one, I'll just give you one more example. You know, Coca-Cola was under a lot of pressure many years ago from Pepsi. Pepsi was the number two brand. Right, back in the 80s, the probably. Right, back in exactly. the 80s, it was. It was back in the 80s, if I recall correctly. It was, yeah, it was in the 80s, uh, maybe early 90s. And, and the uh, Pepsi had Michael Jackson, the, you know, the singer, the entertainer behind them, commercials. It's the new generation. And, and all the young people were drinking Pepsi and Coke was for old fogies. Right. And then Coke came out with a product called New Coke. And they said, we're going to, we're going to fight against Pepsi. They stopped delivering the old Coke. They have a new formula. They put new commercials, new product. They sent millions and millions and millions of dollars of new product to distributors. And they, they're going to now compete with Pepsi. And guess what happened? I, I, if I recall correctly, they did not succeed on that. Right. But because if I recall like correctly, um, test me on that one. If I recall correctly, the story was that 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 old taste, that new taste, people all of a sudden it actually it actually came out for them because then people came out and said, "Hey, I want my Coke," and then they came back with it, and then they crushed it. Is that correct? Exactly right. So the the new Coke was was a disaster, disaster, and IBM, in my opinion, uh, followed what I believe to be six specific steps to overcome this incredible setback. They could have put them out of business, by the way. Um, and I'll tell you about them in a minute, but basically at the end of the day, like you said, you're hundred percent right. They discontinued new Coke. They took it all back and threw it in the garbage can. And then they came out with a product called Coke classic. 
Right. And Coke Classic tripled their market share. All of a sudden, Coke became the brand and everybody wanted to have Coke because, um, because of the way they handled their, their setback. And, and it's, it's really a great study. It's a great study. I, I, another, another, so it's a great study in, in what to do when you hit that inflection point and how to take it as, and turn it into an advantage. And that's exactly what they did. In fact, when, new, when, when the old Coke came back, they literally had to interrupt, you know, C-SPAN, you know, network when they were, they were public, they were, they were, they were, they were having a White House uh, press uh, release or something. And they stopped and they said, Coke has come back with Coke Classic. <laughs> it was such tremendous news for, the, for America. It was amazing. Uh, another a great example is Lexus. Lexus, you know, the, you know Toyota was, a, was always known as, a, you know, like a mediocre car company. You know what I mean? They had the Toyota right. Celica. When I was a kid, I, I was 18, I had a Celica. You know, it was cheap cars. And Toyota said, you know, let's compete with Mercedes-Benz. Let's compete with, you know, with BMW. And let's come up with a car. So they spent billions of dollars and they built a car called the Lexus. And guess what happened? I don't remember, remember what happened Lexus? then. I know what's happening today with it. Okay, so what happened to Lexus in the beginning was they, they pulled it off. They sold this expensive car. And then within a short period of time, they found a problem with the car. And it, what was, was, what was that? Right. What's that? Techn some technical problem. Some technical problem. Yeah. And, and that was about to destroy their, their premium business. Yeah. But what did Lexus, what did Toyota do to, to deal with that problem? And that's what I talk about in my book. And I mean, they quickly went to every customer, regardless of whether they got complaints or not, gave them a loaner, took back the car, had it 24 hours later, they had the car back, shine, buffed, perfect condition, and the way they handled the adversity, they went public with it. We're sorry, we made a mistake, we're fixing it. This is what it looks like, blah, blah, blah. And what ended up happening was every single customer who was one of those customers at the time and, and saw how Toyota dealt with, the, with, the, with their adversity and, and, and the service and the, and the quality that they got back said they would never buy another car again but Lexus. That's so incredible. The way they handled it. So Lexus became a gigantic brand. And I believe not, it's, it's not, a, it's arguable, but it's, it's how they dealt with their adversity. Right now, the commercial real estate business is going through tremendous adversity. I have friends, I have one friend, for example, who's got over a hundred buildings with retailers in them. I have another friend that, that is in three, he just called me, three, I'm in three categories that are getting destroyed. I'm hospitality, my hotels are empty. I'm in commercial retail. office, my buildings are 15% occupied. And I'm in retail and I, I can't convince them to come back. That's I mean, crazy adversity. So, so what do I do and how do I overcome this? And how do I turn this into a positive somehow? And so how do I see so the light at the end of the tunnel? And these are the questions. So you know I'm what, let, let's stop that for a second because this is really interesting. Uh, um, and be, before, we can, before we continue, because I want to hear something specific about this, what you said before, I heard from Tony Robbins at a certain point that he said that any company that comes into the market at the time, no matter which era they came into the market, when they were in love with their product, they're dead. When, when they get a certain point, obviously, when their product is not relevant anymore. But if their love is their client, their customer, that's where they can pivot and they can win and they can overcome that adversity. But I'm going back to what you just said, by the way, about the commercial real estate 
your friend that is being in three asset classes that are basically he's facing crazy stuff. Can you share with us what you told him in general, how to do it, or, or what's your advice to that type of a person who's going through that type of adversity uh, on, on, the, on the emotional, spiritual level in order to, to, how to overcome that? And, and also, in terms of the technical level of the real estate part, because you went through so much, you have so much uh, uh, experience going through that type of turmoil, what would you say? Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I what I talk about all the time, and I, I I say it to myself when I go when I have adversity, which happens every day, right? Everybody it faces challenges and obstacles and disappointments every single day. Um, I, I sometimes give classes and speeches where I say, my own, raise your hand if there's if there's no one in your life that's going through a tough time, you know. And every single hand, you know, of course, is not no no one raises a hand because everybody right. knows someone going through something. Someone very, very close to me just found out they have, have cancer, uh, a very serious situation. Uh, mm -hmm. Another friend of mine uh, lost her daughter, 32 years old, out of nowhere. She wasn't even sick. You know, so there, there are really levels. I mean, every, you can't compare anybody's pain, but, but I believe there's really a, a very clear way to deal with it uh, from an emotional point of view. From the business side, it's a different conversation. Obviously, the strategy and the tactics of how to reinvent yourself and how to use your, your, what you have you, you, the, the positives of your business and turn it into something positive. I, I heard yesterday, literally yesterday, um, the, the building that, that uh, Barney's was in for, I don't know how many years, 40 years or something uh, in Manhattan is being, they're turning it into a hotel. Um, you know, they're, they're reinventing themselves. Um, but going back, going back. So, so I believe there are basically six, six um, steps to, to, uh, right. Right. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you. We want, you wrote your book, the whole name of the book is Six Steps to Overcoming Adversity. And, and I really want you to now please dig in. I'm so curious about understanding those six steps specifically um, and to take us through it, go, I mean, go through it. Uh, so obviously the people who are watching it can see it, but the people who are listening without watching it, uh, if you could be as elaborate, meaning if you could elaborate as much as you can about each and every step, so everybody can understand what they're, what, uh, what is your message? Okay. Well, what the well way I'll do. do Go ahead. I'll do a uh, Yishaya, Thank you. I'll, I'll do a, sh a very shortened version of this uh, because I don't know how much time we have. But the first sure. of all, what these steps have in common is that they don't come naturally, and what comes naturally is not good for you. So the first thing when you when I when I when I came in Monday morning in September of 2009 and I found out that uh, there was a, a bank and I talk about it in my book uh, Chorus Bank um, went out of business and I lost 60 million dollars over the weekend. Um, my first reaction. What do you think my first reaction was to that? What do I think? I'll yeah, tell you what, what do you I think. think. I reacted when I found out about that online. That the bank. So I think you found I mean, the first reaction is usually anxiety, meaning usually you feel uh, <laughs> a, a absolute fear. That's but before the, before the before the fear before the fear. My first reaction was like most people. No, 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 no. I I I didn't read that right. It's not possible. This right, bank right. has hundred right. billion dollars of assets. Right. That's the first second. You're right. Right. The first the first my first reaction was denial. It's ne that's this that did not happen. So my first step in overcoming adversity is acceptance. It's having faith. It's facing into the adversity with optimism and fighting that, 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 um, that instinctive 
um, that instinct you have to not accept. I, I know people that have lost people in their lives and they still, year, a year later, don't accept that the person is gone. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So it's so first step is to accept it. And the only way to do that is with a little bit of optimism. I'm going to get through this. You, you can't accept it if you can't get through it. In my book, I, I put some cartoons. I try to make it a little funny. Um, but, but the reality is that that's step number one. Step number two is once you accept that this thing happened, the second thing, your natural reaction is to start blaming people. How could this guy do that? How could that guy do this? The president is there. This guy screwed me. That's what naturally happens second. So the second step is to let go of the blame, of the bitterness, of the resentment, and to try to forgive yourself and others so that you can get to the next. I'm not saying forgive and, okay, Bernie Madoff stole money from you, so let's go do more business with him. I'm not saying that. But actually, the more you are angry at Bernie Madoff for, for stealing money from you or whatever the thing may be, you know, the president for how he handled the coronavirus or whatever it is, the more you're angry and bitter about that, the less chance you have. First of all, that you're tethered to them and you can't get yourself mentally out of that. You can't move on. So the only way to, in my book, I talk about a person who, who, who was able to let go. I, I talk about many people. One was a Holocaust survivor, Edith Ager, wrote books, has, has been literally saving lives with her books in, the, in her 90s. It's kind of incredible. She talks about how she forgave. That, I don't, when I say forgive, I don't mean what other people mean by forgive. I mean, let go of the anger with the Nazis. And, and the let go of the anger or, or also, could you also call that let go of the past, meaning let go of what happened, meaning... Yeah, absolutely. Look, look forward, meaning the past. Exactly, past. exactly. I have one a paragraph in my book, one page, one chapter in my book that's, that's called, that's called um, um, Stop Playing the Rewind Button. And one of my friends, when, when the crisis was happening, I kept on telling him we had this, we had that. And he said, Jack, stop it. Stop hitting rewind on the tape recorder. Stop, start hitting play and move forward. And you can't move forward if you're still bitter and enraged and, res and have resentment. It's just not going to work. The third step is once you're over the first two is in every adversity, there's a seed of an equivalent or greater benefit, meaning that's Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, meaning you have to learn the lesson. My, my partner, Rick, always tells me. One okay, of my favorite books, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, great. But my partner, Rick Rudy, always tells me we pay the tuition in the, in the loss or in the sadness or the disappointment or the, or we pay the tuition, might as well learn the lesson. And I feel like there's a way, the way the world works, the way God works, I think is if you don't learn the lesson, unfortunately you have to relearn it and you have to go through another thing to get that lesson. So the, the third step is to find a lesson in every adversity. And it's not just adversity, it's every single day that we're around, we should be finding things to learn and grow. And that's true of what's going on right now with Corona. It's true, it's true. It's true of every, every, every situation that we're in, what we can learn about this, not necessarily to prevent it from happening again, but even just to learn about the situation that the person is in. Okay, we have this cancer. How do we deal with it? Who do we talk to? Who are the best doctors? How, what, are, what are the percentages? How do the treatments work? What's the mortality rate? Learn as much as you can about your adversity and about what led up to it. The fourth step, once you get through those, is the most important step of the six. And this is the one that prevents, it prevents suicide. It prevents long-term depression. And that is look at the abundance and the blessings that you have 
and find a way to appreciate. I'm going to stop my share now. Find a way to appreciate what the benefits you have. If you're a company, look at your business and say, what do we have going for us? Your IBM, you have one of the best brands in the world. You, you know, your, your Radio Shack, you have a good, great brand. Maybe we can convert Radio Shack into stores that do servicing and like IBM did, but Radio Shack didn't think that way. So Radio Shack doesn't exist anymore. Right. So, so the, the fourth step is to take an inventory of the blessings and abundance you have in, in your five dimensions of your life. Your physical, if your personal, it's a personal thing, am I, uh, yeah, I have this broken arm, yes, but my other arm works and I can see, I can hear, I can smell, I can taste, I can touch, I can breathe, right? So I have physical health, I, physical blessing. I have um, uh, financial health, I have spiritual, mental, and emotional. And if you go through that, what I did when I was depressed, during the financial crisis, I made index cards. I wish I brought one for you to show you. I might even have them here. Um, but anyway, I had index cards. Each index card was a different dimension of my life, my physical life, my financial life, my spiritual life, my mental life, my emotional life. Mental is intellectual and emotional is relationships. And I wrote literally on the cards what I am thankful for. And I read them every morning when I woke up and I read them every night before I went to sleep. And if something bad happened that day, which a lot of times it did, I opened my cards and read them again. Why? Because I'm changing my mindset. I'm changing my mindset from sadness and anxiety and fear and worry to look what I do have already. I still have these things. They didn't. They didn't disappear. Why? Why? When I, when I was writing my book, there was a gentleman. Tell me something, though, about those about those index cards. Was it on each index cards, which which was about each and every part of our lives, like you just uh, spoke about? Was it a lot of stuff? Or just like the one thing or two things? What it was, was it? as much as I could fit on the card. I got it. Okay. That's a good So, tip. So I, I have, not only do I have index cards, but I have McGillis. I have a lot of other stuff that I wrote. And part of my, what I show you in my book, you know, I, I'll show you the little, little advertising here. This is the actual book. Um, yeah. what, what I do in the book is I give, you, I give you the index cards in the book and I give you exercises uh, one of them I call the happiness game. Basically, add something to it every day, rearrange it, prioritize it. Um, so, so when I was writing this book, there was a gentleman who was was a wholesale company on 37th Street, Manhattan, and he uh, right in the garment district. And he 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 got a call from Walmart that one of the big orders was being canceled. He hung up the phone. He called his wife, told her he loves her, and he jumped out the window. Now, this is a guy that was. Generally speaking, successful. He had a lot of blessings in his life. He had a beautiful family. He had a, he owned a, he owned two homes. He he had everything. He he was religious. He was, what happened? What happened was he lost perspective. He just focused completely on this order and what it was going to do to him. And a lot of people, unfortunately, committed suicide <laughs> during the financial crisis. Many many as a result of Bernie Madoff, but not only because of Bernie Madoff. And I knew, I knew some of these people. And I believe many of them, I don't believe, I know, many of them had huge blessings in their lives. They had other businesses that they had. They had family that loved them, but they couldn't think about that. And when I was depressed, I was clinically depressed during the financial crisis when my father passed away in 2011. I, and I couldn't think about anything but what was going on, but the sadness. And to get myself out of it, the index cards saved my life. So that's a, step number four, and that's appreciate. Step number five is give. What does that mean? It means find a way, even though you're going through a rough time, find a way to volunteer 
to give more charity, not less, to help others in their situation. Because when you do that, it's, it's the most selfish thing you can do in the world. It, it, it revives you. It gives you a chance. You know, someone, I spoke to someone yesterday who said to me, why, why did God give me cancer? And, and, you know, what did I do? What did I do to deserve it? I ate healthy my whole life. I exercise every day. What, what the hell is this? And I said to her, I said, I think maybe you get, you're getting cancer. And, and no, this person also took people to treatments and volunteered for, for, for visit, visiting people and helping them with the dialysis, with kidney, all kinds of stuff. I said, I, you're going you're gonna to get through it. You're going to get cured. And then you are going to be the person, the go-to person, anyone that has cancer from then on is going to call you and say, how did you get through it? What did you do? Well, who should I talk to? How do, how do I get through emotionally? How do I get to sleep at night? And you're going to be able to take this and use it to enrich and enhance and improve the lives of others. And all of a sudden, I got a big smile out of her. Big smile. Okay, I'm in. So it, it, I'm not just saying that. It really, really, truly helps you when you think in terms of other, in, turn yourself inside out and and, and, uh, and and think about how I'm going to use this to help others, not just in the future, but even tomorrow, I can help others, support groups, etc. And then finally, step number six, and then if you want to translate that into a business situation, it's customer first, like you said before, customer centric. What did Lexus do? What did Coke do? They listened and they took action based on what their customers were telling them. And that's step number six take decisive action. The biggest problem that we have today in our businesses and, and our homes and our families, our marriages, our organization. I, I've been coaching basketball for a long, long time. Is that We don't make decisions. We just let things go the way they were going and nothing happens that way. You must take a risk and be a leader and make decisions. And that's how you're going to get yourself over adversity. And and to me, that, to me, you can see the passion in my voice. <laughs> this is what uh, I'm here to do in this world. I feel like my business is, thank God, everything's going fine now. And I'm, I'm over the crisis and I'm doing fine. But, and that's a way to support my family and to support my, my number one passion, which is trying to help people overcome adversity. I think this is a, a message for everybody who is going through something. And we are, anyone who's going through something, and so many, so many of us are going through stuff, you know, during this year, so many of us went through things, and it's a wake-up call to know that you don't, uh, you shouldn't just dwell in your issues, dwell in your, you know, uh, whatever you're going through, and to actually look out. Once you look out, you're not going to, you're not going to look in, you're not going to look in anymore, and you'll be able to overcome that and feel like a human being because you're helping someone. So I agree with that hundred percent, but that was, which step was that? The last one is take decisive action. That's step six. Okay. So go ahead. T tell us a little bit about uh, So that step six is, is once you are, once you have accept, accepted, you're not, you're not in denial. You're not holding any grudges. That's step number two. Step number three, learning everything you can learn about this. Step number four, excuse me, you're evaluating your blessings. You're taking a, an inventory, a five-dimensional inventory. Step number five is finding a way to give back. And then step number six is, okay, now let's, 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 let's act. People make the mistake of starting with step six. Okay, this thing happened to me. Let's, uh, let's, let's wait, wait, slow down. Okay, wait, wait a second. And then go talk, through. Talk about this for a second. Why is it a mistake to take action right away? Because you're not ready yet. You may be acting 
you know, instinctively out of anger. You may be, you know, let's fire this guy. You know, the amazing thing about Lexus and Coke both, they didn't fire one person. They didn't blame it. They didn't play the skate, the blame game. They didn't say, oh, that's the person that created the code. He was his, or he, this guy was responsible for that flaw in the electronics and the, the Lexus. Let's fire that guy and go public and say, that guy's not here anymore. So no, no, that's the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is take, it doesn't take long. It takes five minutes, 10 minutes. And just go through your mind as to, let me make sure I'm, when I start my decision, when I start my, uh, when I make my decision, I'm acting rationally. I'm speaking to people. I'm getting advice. I'm getting feedback. And then I'm acting. My biggest mistakes were I acted in my business was I acted too fast. It's, it's a, it's a personal, it's a personal flaw of mine. I, I, I'm very quick on the trigger and I got to slow myself down. Thank God I have an unbelievable business partner for 30 years, Rick Rudy, who's much more methodical than me. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and in a lot of ways he's, he's just, he's just like having a, it's like having a psychologist in your office every day, my, my partner, Rick. So it's been, it's been fantastic because he slows me down and says, wait, 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 slow down. Let's see, you know, we're doing this deal. Now we were doing this finance deal, this energy finance deal. And, you know, I'm all gung ho and he's looking at it and saying, one minute, let's put in some safeguards. And if they're not going to accept the safeguards, then maybe we just walk away. Yeah, I know we spent six months working on this. That's okay. Hmm. Let's, let's play it safe. And, and that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of partner everybody needs if, if there's someone like me. That's the partner everybody needs. Right. The right partnership basically is to complete each other, just like marriage. That's, yep. that's the idea. And yep. hopefully everybody should have that. Um, first of all, it sounds incredible. All those, meaning that there's a really, uh, there's a method. That there are, those steps are really, it's a blueprint for anyone who's going through stuff, what they should do in order to get themselves straight. And like you said, it's not something that you, it's a month, months ahead type of work. It could be happening in minutes. Once you have that, your brain or your mind is in a different place. And I love that part. By the way, I just want to share with you, you said, um, um, we, we spoke about the customer, right? We spoke about the customer. And uh, at a certain point I watched just recently, I saw an old video of Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah. Amazon and he spoke about that and that was very cool. And the interviewer is asking him, what are you going to do? And he's talking about the books and how he starts and what he's going to do. That's in the nineties, like in very, very beginning. And he talks about this whole thing. And, uh, and then he tells him, tell me about the product. He said, no, no. So, so he tells him all the time. No, it's about what we're going to give customer. It's a customer uh, experience and that's what we're going to do. And then he goes to another topic and he goes again and that product said, no, no, it's not about that. It's all about giving great customer experience. So he says to him, yeah, but you're not, you're not positive, you know, cash flow yet. And your company is not making money. He says, no, it's, it's, it's not about that yet. It's, it's about giving the customer the best experience. And, and one, he said it like three or four times to tell the interviewer, uh, you're asking the wrong questions because, because the focus is how to give. The focus is how, to, is, is how to put yourself out there to give great service. That's the point. You know, you know you're, you're hitting it right on the nose. In fact, we, I think we've come full circle. You know, so what I do for a living is I create income streams for commercial landlords. What people are doing now, especially now, especially in 2020, 2021, is they're using this income stream as a tenant improvement tenant slush fund um, so that the tenant experience 
in the in their office buildings and in some cases it's not only office buildings we have we have malls we have in some industrial we, 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 we they're going back to the tenants and saying we figured out a way to cut out the middleman and turn the electricity expense into a profit center and we're going to share that with our tenants to make your experience here even better and that's that's turning tenants into life lifelong fans and they're getting referrals for business because of that and that's and that's what really this this is all about and then it doesn't cost the the commercial office landlords anything to do something like this it's just it's a mindset it's oh we have this new income stream what is it per foot okay let's let's plow it back into our tenants and let them let them feel good about about the fact that they are paying the rent even if they're not necessarily uh one of the things not necessarily uh in the, in the office what one of the things that that metrotech is doing which is owned by brookfield which is one of the largest landlords in the world is if there is any case of COVID in my building, they send out a mass email to everyone, every single tenant saying COVID case was found. It's on floor number 20 and office number six. And, you know, if you want, if you want to stay away from that floor, you know, we, we don't blame you, blah, blah, blah. In other words, they're being very transparent. They're making things easy and they're, make, they're making you feel safe and comfortable. And, and that's what it's all about. Beautiful. What did you want to show us in a second meeting? Obviously we'll have to explain it for the people who are, listening to us in audio. What's that? No, I was just, I, I just, um, I wanted to show you the, um, the inflection points. Uh, I, I just, just in, some of the webinars that I do for businesses, um, I, I show this graph. This is, this is for people that can't see it. It's a graph of like the success, you know, from beginning to end, but it's not a straight line. It, it, it has these inflection points. It has these setbacks. And like I said, you know, what people do during those setbacks will determine their future. You know, I, 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 have, um, I have this hunch that, you know, people that, that have not hunch, I mean, I've interviewed hundreds of people for this book and over the years and the people, I, I don't know anyone. I really don't know anyone who went straight to the top without any, without any problems. Most 99, 100% of the people that I know that are successful in business, in life, in their marriages, are people who have had to deal with crazy, crazy adversity that you don't wish on your worst enemy. I mean, I, I know someone who just passed away recently. who was an amazing man, amazing, a good friend of mine. When he came to this country from Egypt, he, he lived in a one-room apartment over a store. He didn't speak one word of English. When he passed away, he was a multi-billionaire with hundreds of buildings an incredible family, a house on the ocean in Deal, New Jersey. Um, he lived an incredible life, but he always reminded me, always reminded me of where he came from. And he always reminded himself of where he came from. So, you know, I, I do believe that, that, that adversity is, could be, and I you know they, I talk about in the book about Beethoven. A lot of people have gone through, imagine, imagine you're Beethoven, you can't hear. I mean, what does that mean? And he, and he composed death, not all his stuff, but a lot at the end of his life. He was deaf when he composed his greatest things. That is unbelievable. That you know what, I'm always that, thinking about We should about be that. running away from adversity. Yeah. We should be embracing it and using it to move our lives forward. It's amazing. Um, the way I want to finish, the way I want to end is, and I know that this book and everything that you do is about giving. So I feel funny of doing it uh, because you don't need the promotion because you have businesses and you are a real estate guy, uh, et cetera. 
But how can people get a hand of this book? How can people get a hold uh, of it? It's simple. Amazon.com. That's the only publisher we have. <laughs> I got it. Six Steps to Overcoming Adversity. Uh, we are coming out with a new, um, uh, what do you call that? Um, you know, when, where you speak the book. What is that? Audible. Yeah, Audible. It's on Audible. The old version's on Audible. Uh, it's on Kindle. So for a dollar fifty or $2, they can watch it on, they can just read Audible. it on Kindle. You, you recorded it? You spoke into it? No, no. You got no, some. I hired a professional uh, narrator. Narrator, yeah. Um, but I need to do that again because that's the old version of the book. This is the new edition now. It's much, much better. And uh, it's, I, I just hired a new editor and a new graphic designer. And I, I, it's, it, thank God it's, uh, it's come a long way and we're very excited about it. And, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing, the other thing that I, that I am happy to do if, if anybody's listening to this that would want me to speak in their organization or their, or their company or their, uh, you know, their nonprofit or for-profit, doesn't matter. Happy to do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very cheap. I'm free. And, uh, and I'm happy to, happy to help wherever I can. That sounds incredible. And I'll tell you also, everyone, anyone who's listening to this, look, we're going to have the links here on top or the bottom in order to be able to get to, to Jack and to be able to, uh, to see if he's available. He's a busy man, but as we heard, it's his passion to help out and to get people out of their adversity and to get better. And um, this is the time to do it. This is a year that so many people went through so many things. Uh, we need more jacks, as we call it. We need more people who are positive. We need more people to teach us uh, how to deal with things and to get better and to do the right thing for ourselves, for our families, for our businesses, etc. Jack, I really thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, and uh, really, it was, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Stick around for a second because I'm going to just say the last remarks. Um, you guys... Thank you for listening to the CRE Shark Eye Show. Again, you have all the links above, below, everything that you need to hear. And I'm going to see you guys in the next show. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.